Hi and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. This podcast brings you a sermon series in St Paul's letter to the Ephesians, grounding ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ. Each week our preaching team will consider Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the wider region of then Asia Minor and in it see one of the most contemporary letters for the church today. It's a letter filled with deep meaning, exploring the past, present and future with his great argument. Paul considers all things before the foundation of the world and then carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians sets the theological landscape for those who love Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the universal church. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and we hope you're both encouraged to respond to God's word and will be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Dear God, our Father, we are gathered here this morning to praise your name and to thank you for all your good gifts you bestow on us each and every day. From the smiles we shared on the way to church and through the welcome we've received as we entered the sanctuary, the news we share with others around us and those who have come to meet you. For the first time. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus, you are here in our midst. We thank you for all the ways you encourage, challenge, and strengthen us. May we have the strength of faith to trust you in our lives, reassuring us and directing us to follow your plan, your purpose into the future. Inspire us to leave our comfort zones and go into our community and the wider world to be the channels through which your work is done. Let this be with fresh eyes, embodied hearts, and a burst of renewed enthusiasm. We thank you for our Pastor Mike, who is calling us to be a people of prayer, not just in our own homes, but as a community together. Little can be achieved without prayer, without prayer being at the very heart. If you hear the still small voice of God calling you to be part of our praying community, please say, yes, Lord, I will come. Blessings go to the moderator, who has been in Fife this week, saying the work of the local churches in action. And on Friday, guilds, women and men met for a Fife's Guild Together service, the moderator gaining more insight into the work of the guild. Today, we're here to share a little of what the guild is supporting, both locally and further afield. And we thank you for all guilds throughout the world who, for more than 100 years, have come together in fellowship and service. We think of those guild members no longer with us, but who have contributed so much within the life of the church and to the new members becoming involved in the coming years. We especially ask you to be with the young adults guilds being established. God, you have a plan for our lives and we ask you to be with those young people 
as they explore new ways to the motto, whose we are and whom we serve. God of the future, we pray for peace, for hope, for strength and for renewal, but above all, for those that will remember you, your works and your message of your son in a world where it may not be appreciated as it once was. But we pray for joy. Let the day-to-day miracles be remembered and celebrated for the miracles they are. Gracious Father, thank you for being with us this day and every day. Amen. Following our prayer time, I hope your heart is prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If in anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word or the sermon challenges you and maybe raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. Or if you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom, then offering details can also be found on the contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. Before I get into the passage this morning, I just wanted to address the Guild's theme, this theme for this year of new wine, new wine, skin, new wine skins, and a highlight, the newness of a life in Christ. That's what Catherine talked about. When you come to Jesus, when you accept him into your life, your life with its warts and all, uh, you know, that brokenness, the shame, the guilt, the sin, all of that stuff. When you accept him, he renews you. He doesn't leave you in your old self. He doesn't want you to be an old wineskin, in other words, into which he pours the Holy Spirit. He won't pour in the Holy Spirit into an old, unchanged, unregenerated person but rather in our repentance, we're reborn, a new person, a new wineskin, into whom the Holy Spirit is poured. And that will be evident in our passage this morning. In the new life received from Christ, we are blessed. And so this morning, I hope that we can rejoice in the words of Paul in Ephesians, where we hear in the closing uh, words of the passage that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So may the word we are about to hear and my words fill you new, the new you with the fullness of God. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to read um, from the English Standard Version uh, today. And that's with a reason. If you're following in a different version, um, when we get to verse ah, 18, there might be a difference um, in your versions, Um, but I'm reading from the ESV with a reason. So chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 through to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed, and we thank God for the reading of his holy word. To his name be praise and glory. So, it's come at a good week. This passage is Paul's prayer, prayer for the Ephesians. There's a, there's a prayer also in chapter 1, which we covered a few weeks ago, um, but this is very timely in the uh, middle of Ephesians as Paul is going to transition into the uh, topics in the weeks to come. We've heard already of Paul's deep desire that the church be one, that Jew and Gentile are one. We heard Maggie a couple of weeks ago talk about the barriers, the walls being broken down, all the barriers are gone, and that the plan and purpose of God in the world is to be carried out through his church, the people of God. And there is no plan B. No plan B. We, the church, that's you, wherever you're sat, the people next to you, behind you, in front of you, are the church. And they are the people sat in churches, in pews, all across the world today. They are, we are, the bearers of the salvation plan of the mighty Sovereign Father. But we need to remember it's his plan and his church. But there's a danger there. Just because it is God's plan and his church doesn't mean that we get off scot-free. He still needs those people in his church to carry out his plans. And that's where we see the model in the early church, a model of devotion to spreading of the gospel, to the spreading of the love, and to the spreading of prayer. And no doubt if you've read my, uh, um, as you heard me talk last week, and if you've heard uh, or read or seen the pastoral letter, there is one area I think the church globally uh, maybe lacks, or certainly Western church. But there are kind of four areas and, and that the church is called to. We're, markedly, we're not markedly less devoted to the gospel, I think, most churches today. There are many Bible-believing churches teaching God's word well through preaching, through Bible study, through encouraging members to, to devotionally study their Bibles. Of course, there are certainly those churches that don't do that. But I think generally, we're not markedly less devoted to the gospel. And it's not that we don't evangelize. We do, though I recognize there is much more effort required in that area of people to share the good news of the gospel. It isn't even our love for one another. Um, I was reading a commentary and it was saying that love in the Christian community does exist, though perhaps it said we are maybe not quite shining the love as brightly as the early church did. So I think we are doing well in those areas, but I would say a main difference with the church today and the early church, the early apostolic church, is prayer. 
the Bible throughout Old Testament into the New is filled with prayers and examples of apostles in constant and fervent prayer. And I wonder today, is there people who find prayer a duty, trying to fit it in with the business of life? Or maybe a lack of confidence in prayer? And so we lack the earnestness, the expectancy of seeing God move, you know? I'm praying, but God isn't answering my prayers, my pleas, petitions, and so we start to doubt and have a lack of confidence. Or maybe that lack of answer to prayer, for some, maybe they go, well, perhaps God isn't sovereign. And we so doubt his sovereignty and then undervalue prayer. Or maybe the opposite. We so believe in the sovereignty of God and so believe that he will act, we don't bother praying because what's the point? He's going to act anyway. Paul's prayer in this chapter 3 is an antidote to all of that. Paul in chapter 3 gives reason and power to prayer and I pray this encourages you in your soul in prayer. So he set out the doctrine of salvation as applied to individuals and collectively the church. Christ died for our sins, ultimately, simply that. Sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in his church. And the proper response Paul now comes to is that we are to bow our knee before a holy sovereign God and pray. But pray for what? That's the question. What are we to pray for? John Stott, in the commentary I was reading, says, we all pray about what concerns us and are evidently not concerned about matters that we do not include in our prayers. That's probably self-evident. He goes on and says, prayer expresses desire. We pray for what we desire. So the question for you is, what do you desire? What's the desire of your prayers? And is the desire of your prayers, are they matching God's will? What is his will? At the first midweek prayer we had on Thursday, I played a worship song uh, to open our prayer. And the lyrics of, some of the lyrics of the first verse were these, your will be done, my God and Father, as in heaven, so on earth. Well, we kind of know that from the Lord's Prayer. Then it goes on. My heart is drawn to self-exalting, Our heart is drawn to ourselves. But then it says, help me seek your kingdom first. And the end of the verse goes, be still, my soul. Oh, lift your voice and pray. That's telling yourself, stop it, still my soul, lift my voice, pray. And it closes, Father, not my will, but yours be done. The prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayer must be in the Father's will. And what is his will? Well, it has been accomplished partially, fully, partially, through Christ. Its full completion is yet to come. But it has been accomplished in and through Christ, and it has been revealed through the kingdom come, and that is what should be foremost in our prayers, the kingdom come. Stop went on further in the commentary to say, we have no authority to pray for anything which God has not revealed by his will. 
For it is in Scripture that God has disclosed his will, and it is in prayer that we ask him to do it. Not our will, but his. Our prayers are to ask God to accomplish what he has promised he will. So to Paul. So Paul talks about bowing the knee before God, and he then says, or prays, for this reason. I pray for this reason. Oh, we're working. Some of it. But what is the reason? It surely is what he has already said in the letter before, namely that the reconciling salvation work of Jesus has been accomplished and that it is revealed, as I said to Paul. There would be no point in Jesus doing his reconciling work on the cross unless it's revealed to people and shared beyond those who were there on that day. Christ's kingdom come is the reason, and in the kingdom all are accountable to the Creator to come and bow their knee in prayer. And Paul goes on then to speak about every family in heaven and on earth deriving their name from the Father. Father, every family, implies, of course, that God is the Father of every single human being and therefore all families. And that, of course, is true. God the Father is the creator. And it is an important thing to know because some, many maybe, didn't have the greatest human fathers as good role models. But God the Father, the creator, provides the perfect expression of what fatherhood should be. He is father of all. But there's a second part to this the Father from whom in every family in heaven and on earth is named. And that is that God is our Father. That God the Father is the Father of a particular brotherhood and sisterhood of believers in Jesus Christ. Here in heaven, sorry, here on earth and in heaven. I'm wishing I was there already. He is Father of his church. And so we then get into the body of this prayer, a single long sentence. If you look in your Bibles, it's one sentence, but with so much into it. So I'll try and break it up. Verse 16 finds Paul making his request. That, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So here, Paul is imploring God, praying to God, petitioning God, that in God's richness of his glory, that he would strengthen the believers in this world here and now. And how so? Through the Holy Spirit. This isn't some sort of inner strength we find through looking in on ourselves. It's not even a strength gained through working out and exercise regimes along with a suitable diet, good rest and all of that, of course, which I have. Not. Though those things are, of course, good for our bodies and our minds and our souls. No, but what Paul here is praying for is that out of the unbelievable deepness in the reservoirs of God's richness that he would bless the believers of Jesus Christ with power, with might, with strength beyond measure. Of course, when someone comes to Christ, 
They are sealed with salvation. Just when you or I came to Christ, we received the Spirit of God. But Paul here is talking about a continual filling of the Spirit of God. Then there's a need for the Spirit to continually come in an extraordinary way, strengthening and fortifying believers so that they are able to live in the world but not be of it in order that we can become what Christ wants us to be. And the consequence or repercussion of this, Paul continues, is that, in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'll try and simplify it. There's a train of thought Paul is following here. He has asked God the Father to send God the Spirit to cause God the Son to reside in us. God the Father has sent God the Spirit to cause God the Son to reside in us. You might think it's the other way around, that the Son sends the Spirit, but the Spirit comes in order that we would know the Son who died for our sins. This prayer is powerfully Trinitarian. It acknowledges the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit in a believer's life. And it acknowledges that the believer is able to draw upon the three in living life today on earth. So how can Christ dwell, live in you? couple of other verses in again both by Paul Colossians 1:27 it says God chose to make known how great among the gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery this mystery of Christ dying which is Christ in you the hope of glory not the holy spirit in you Christ in you in Galatians 1:20 he says I have been crucified with Christ in other words, my sins, I've, I've been, my sins have been crucified. I've gone down to the depth. It is no longer I who live, because I've died to my sins, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, this earthly life, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This dwelling isn't about setting up home in your life, is, sorry, is about setting up life in you by the one who died. And it's not a temporary residence. It's not like Adele or Elton John doing a residency at Las Vegas. They go and dwell and set up home in that city of sin for a little while and play their gigs. It's a residency. They take up residence. But that's not what Christ coming into you dwelling means. Not when he inhabits you by your faith in him. You have that initial faith of coming to Christ, but then you have that continuing character of faith, of trusting Jesus for a continued walk with him, where he comes up and takes residence in your hearts. The Spirit promised, come into your hearts. And that's what Jesus promised before he went to be with the Father. And then verse 17 goes on, that you, 
being rooted and grounded in love. The heart is a deep seat of our emotions. In the Bible, yes, in so much writing, in songs, the heart, this uh, organ that gives us life, without it we die, has emotional resonance. We talk about being heartbroken when, I don't know, a relationship breaks down. When we lose a loved one, our heart is broken. Or we talk of our hearts bursting with pride when a loved one achieves something, does something well that we are pleased about. Yet this is a piece of muscle that contracts or, and pumps blood. But it has so much more meaning. And for Paul, the heart, he prays that Christ will come and dwell in your heart. Not literally sitting in that organ of flesh, but spiritually. He, and he comes to dwell in your heart so that you would be rooted and grounded in love. That is the purpose of Christ's indwelling, his residence. And yes, I've said the Holy Spirit is the one that dwells, and indeed he is, but it is the Spirit that points to Jesus and calls us to exalt him in love. Jesus said himself in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. The Spirit comes with no authority of his own. And he goes on, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will glorify me, Jesus is saying, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so the effect of Jesus' residence in your heart is that you are literally rooted in love, for Christ is love. And so any believer, that love should be established and evident, manifest and realized. And there's a result of this strengthening by this Spirit, this dwelling of Christ's love. And it is that you, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. This is the verse I said I read from the ESV. If you read in some of your other commentaries, there'll be a little bit more on that. Because it seems to be a strange sentence because it misses the object of the comprehension. The strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of what? This is the correct translation word, almost word for word with the Greek. So what is long and wide and high and deep? What is it? Is it love? Is it wisdom? Is it power? Is it everything? Is it just the mystery of the Trinity? Now, of course, the verse goes on to 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Love is the subject of the vastness of Christ Jesus and his death upon the cross. 
He died out of love for his people. Ancient commentators saw the cross itself in these words from Ephesians when you talk about breadth and length and height and depth because they saw the timber of the cross reaching down into the depth of the earth and they also saw it pointing up to the heights of the heaven and they saw the crossbars carrying the arms of Jesus stretched out wide as if to invite and welcome all into the sacrifice he made for sinners who would come to him. The cross is a visible sign of the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love, which is broad. The breadth for Paul encompasses Jews and Gentiles. The breadth of Christ's love today for encompasses all nations on earth, regardless of gender, nationality, socioeconomic background. The breadth of Christ's love encompasses all. Its length is for all eternity, forever and ever, amen. And its depths reaches down to the most degraded sinner and it stretches up to heaven, lifting the exalted sinner to there. And then Paul comes to the striking conclusion of his prayer that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Knowledge is one thing. Comprehending that knowledge is another. But to be filled with the fullness of God is to live in the mystery of the Trinity. To live by faith in sacrificial love of Jesus. And knowledge of Christ should take us believers beyond ourselves into a relational depth with Jesus and then prompt us into action. An action expressed in love, combined, enabled, and strengthened by God. Paul is praying for God to strengthen the believers. It is the love in action of, yes, individual believers, but really this letter of the Ephesians is to the church. And so it is expressed in the life and action of a Christian community together, the church of Jesus Christ. The request to be filled with all the fullness of God is a request that the church be filled. And it's about being spiritually mature. As individuals to go on being filled, remember I said that uh, when we first come to faith, we're, we're filled by the Spirit, but it's being continually filled by the Spirit. And it's that as individual members, as we are filled with the Spirit as the collective body, we are then growing up to him that the church would reach its full potential. And that potential is we are a grace-filled church called to be prompting action to bring others, <coughs> excuse me, to bring others into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think it's gone. That's one measure of the fullness of God. But there is another measure, and that is perfection. Not a great word to hear, because none of us are. But in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, so the very first week I preached on Ephesians, it says, 
He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And I went back to that sermon and I said on that verse, we rightly celebrate that which Christ has saved us from, but what about thinking more deeply about what Christ has saved us to, which is to be holy and blameless? The fullness of God is perfection. And that is the standard for which we should be praying, despite the fact that we may not ever reach it this side of heaven. In fact, we won't. But it is to be the future final state of perfection when, heaven, when in heaven together we enter the completeness of God's purpose for us. If you go back to the first Adam, to the beginning of creation, it was created to be perfect, God's fullness. It went horribly wrong. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, came to be the perfect man we could not be. That is God's fullness. So our collective prayer should be here at Gillespie. I pray, Lord, that it will be, that he would, out of his glorious richness of his being, bring these four things to us, that he would strengthen us in the power of Holy Spirit, that he would bring us to call upon Christ to take up permanent residence in each of our hearts and the heart of this church, that he would deeply root into our church family the agape love of God. We would so deeply love one another. And that he would bring us that head knowledge that would become soul knowledge of the vastness of his love. That in time we would know the incomparable greatness of God measured in the fullness of his perfection. As I read Ephesians and look how Paul structures it, this prayer is just in the perfect place. He's expounded in his, these opening couple of chapters about the salvation of Christ and how it should impact the reader to understand God's pouring into their life. But for a reason that the believer's way of life should be different from that of the world. And he will, in coming weeks, in the coming chapters, expound how that looks different to the world. But today, I implore you as you leave, go home, take, rest in this prayer, read it again and again, that one long sentence. And I won't cover the last two verses, but I want us to say, say them together. These last two verses are a doxology. They are praise. Doxology is praise to God. So let's say them together. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team here at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org. Find us on Facebook or look back at some of the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page of our website. Details in the show notes. 
If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon through the Contact Us page of the website. If you like what you heard, then please share with friends and family. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Barbara Ann Howie, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thanks for listening, and God bless.